0: Well, this time, if you have a Bible, uh, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Philippians. We're in the last chapter of Philippians. Um, My goal uh, is to finish the book of Philippians this year, and I think that that's very possible. Um, And so we're on track to do that, but we'll see how the Lord leads. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first three verses uh, this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, if you're able uh, to stand, would you join me in standing for the reading of God's Word? Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved, I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, we pray that you would mightily bless the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, you'd hide me behind the cross Help, help everyone to focus on the message and not the messenger. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would help me to uh, preach with clarity and with your power. And I pray, Lord, that we would all be good listeners and and then good heaters of what we hear. I pray these things in your name again. Amen. Thank You, you may be seated. I wanted to start this morning by sharing kind of an embarrassing story. Uh, This is a story of how I asked my wife, Julie, on our very first date. It is Christmas Hallmark movie season, and so there is nothing more Hallmark-ish than this story. The day was Sunday, October 25th, 1998, Pumpkin Pie Sunday, at the church we were both attending there in college and after weeks of watching her on campus yes I know that's a little creepy I uh, grew the nerve and thought this has got to be the day that I begin our relationship and have a conversation and ask her on our very first date so after church on Sunday night I saw her with her friend at one of the pumpkin pie tables I said, hi, asked her if she was going to dinner afterwards. The college usually provided dinner after Sunday night church, and and, uh, it was known for being terrible. But I asked her if she was going there, and she said yes. I said, great. Could we have dinner together? Because I want to go over a few things with you. That was my... Very romantic pickup line. Can we go over a few things together? She reluctantly said, Sure. And I said, Okay, I have a quick meeting that I need to go to, and after that, I'll meet you over there. And I walked away thinking I was the biggest romantic guy ever. Um, that is definitely not the most romantic line you could ever use, but it worked. And uh, here we are, almost 20 years later, married, uh, because she was willing to go over a few things with me. Now, why do I share that story? The reason I share that is because Paul, in these verses, is basically saying the same thing to the church at Philippi. I, I want to go over a few things with you, church. And so, uh, they uh, had no choice but to listen as he shared some church matters with them before we get into them I I do want to mention this word here as it starts in verse number one of Philippians chapter 4 he says therefore uh, because of what I have just mentioned uh, because of the fact uh, of um, the fact that our our citizenship is currently in heaven remember we talked about that last Sunday and last Sunday we also talked about the fact that uh, Christ is coming back for us and that, those, who, those of us who are Christians are going to be changed and no longer will we have to deal with this old, vile body. Because of all of that, he wanted to cover some things that were very important, near and dear, heavy on his heart to this church family. So what does Paul want to go over with these believers? I want to share with you uh, this morning four church matters that Paul wanted to go over with this church family. First of all... Uh, Paul wanted to mention his affection for the church in verse number one. Paul's affection for the church, he says in verse one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Oh, it's been mentioned a few times in this series already that there was there was definitely a special relationship between Paul and the church at Philippi. You can see it in several places here in this, uh, this little book alone. In verse number or chapter one and verse number three, he says this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So as Paul was there in that prison attached and and chained to a a Roman soldier, he was thinking about these believers, this church family there at Philippi, and as he did, he thanked his God upon every remembrance of them. Uh, Verse number four, he said, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. So he appreciated them. He prayed for them. In verse number seven, it says, even as it's meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as Both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. And then verse 8, he says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Well, and then here in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, My dearly beloved. And he doesn't say it once. He says it twice in this verse. He refers to them as his Dearly beloved, once at the beginning and once at the end of the verse. So he didn't just like this church family, he loved them. But he didn't just simply love them, he loved them dearly. I read this week about a man by the name of Joe Wagner. And Joe Wagner attended a a junior stock show about a grand champion lamb. You know stock shows. Brother Ed loves these things. And uh, there was this grand champion lamb there who was owned by a little girl. And this uh, lamb was being auctioned. And Joe tells about the bids that reached $5 per pound. And the little girl standing beside the lamb in the arena began to cry. At $10, the tears were really streaming down her face as she clasped her arms tightly around the lamb's neck. The higher the bids rose, the more she cried. She cried. Finally, a local businessman bought the lamb for more than $1,000. Then announced that he was donating it to the little girl. The crowd applauded and cheered. What a wonderful uh, gesture of love and, and selflessness. Well, months later, Joe Wagner, who was there to see that auction that day, was judging some statewide essays. When he came across an essay from a girl who told about the time her grand champion lamb had been auctioned. He thought, is this the same girl? And she goes on in the essay, the prices began to get so high during the bidding, she wrote, that I started to cry from happiness. She continued with, the man who bought the lamb for so much more than I ever dreamed I would get returned the lamb to me, and when I got home, Daddy barbecued the lamb, and it was really delicious. You see, this love that everybody thought this girl had for her lamb was actually a love for the money that she was going to get for this lamb. Unfortunately, though, this this characterizes the love that some Christians have for one another. Uh, Plastic, fake news, surfacy, pretend. But not so with Paul. You see, there was a genuine, unfeigned love for the brethren in his heart. He had a real, genuine, real love for this church family. He had a real affection for them. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22 says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, no question about it, Paul loved this church family fervently. And here's where the rubber meets the road for us, Cornerstone Baptist Church. Are we affectionate about our church family like Paul was? Do you long for worshiping together? Do you look forward to these services that we have? Paul did. He longed for to be in their presence. And verse one, therefore, my beloved are my brethren dearly beloved and longed for. He says, I long to be in your presence again. I long to see the Philippian jailer who I led to Christ and to give him a bear hug and to shake Lydia's hand, and maybe hopefully she'll make her special casserole that she makes with so much love. He longed to be in the presence of these uh, of these believers. I want to encourage us to develop an affection for one another, a love for being in our church family. John 13 and verse 35, Jesus said this, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If you wear a t-shirt saying that you're Christian, that's not what it says. All men shall know that you're my disciples if you have a wonderful bumper sticker on your car. I hope you do have a good bumper sticker on your car. I'm not against you wearing a Christian T-shirt. But those aren't the signs that say that you are one of his disciples, according to Jesus. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. It's going to be evident to the world around us that we belong to him if we have a great love for one another. 1 John 3 and verse 18, John said this, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Look, talk is cheap. Anyone can say that they love one another, but time and deeds will prove it. And I want to encourage you and me to have affection one for another. I know this is an area I want to grow in. I want to grow in my affection for Cornerstone Baptist Church. And I do love this church. And I do love this church family, but I know that there's room for growth. And Paul certainly was a great example. And so as he said, look, I want to go over some things with you, church family. The first thing he said is, I love you. You're dearly beloved. And then if you didn't get it the first time, you're dearly beloved again. So first, we see Paul's affection for the church. Then secondly, we also see here in verse number one, Paul's admonition for faithfulness. Paul's admonition for faithfulness in verse one again. Therefore, my my brethren dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown. And then he says this, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Stand fast in the Lord. So here, Paul issues a call, an admonition to these believers to stay faithful in the Lord. There were a lot of forces fighting against these Christians in those days. False teachers. Remember, we talked about them in in verse number 18, the enemies of the cross of Christ. So false teachers, persecution, persecution. Uh, they were probably a little bit scared that what happened to Paul might happen to them. Maybe, maybe if we continue to be faithful in the Lord, maybe we'll end up in prison too. And certainly there was probably some discouragement from those believers because their beloved apostle was in prison, in chains. And yet, despite it all, he told them, I want you to stand fast in the Lord. I know that there are some things against you. But be faithful. Cornerstone Baptist Church, I know that there is a world out there that doesn't really like Christians who are trying to live according to the Bible. I realize that. It's going against the grain of society, unfortunately. Oh, years and years ago, it was very much in line with culture, the Bible was, but not so anymore. Unfortunately, now, when you take a stand for what's right, what God's Word says... Now you're cast out as being intolerant and a bigot. I want to encourage us to stand fast in the Lord. Let me ask this question. What will it take for you to stop being faithful? Maybe uh, not get the promotion that you were hoping to get. Will that cause you to stop being faithful? What about, what about prison? I don't know that it's going to come in my lifetime, but it might come in my children's lifetime where preaching the Bible will end up causing that person who is preaching to be imprisoned. It may happen here in America. What will it take for you to stop being faithful? The threat of death didn't stop Paul. It didn't stop some of the early church fathers and the martyrs for Christ. They stayed faithful. They didn't give in to the temptation to quit. What about, what will it take for you to stop being faithful in your prayers for your loved ones? Imagine a lot of us have people in our lives, family members perhaps, friends who need the Lord. What will it take for you to stop being faithful to pray for them? share a story about George Mueller. One day, George Mueller began praying for five of his friends. After many months, one of them finally came to know the Lord. Then 10 years later, 10 years later, two others were converted. And then it took 25 years before the fourth man was saved. Mueller uh, persevered in prayer until his death for the fifth friend, and throughout those 52 years, he never gave up hoping that he would accept Christ too. His faith was rewarded, for soon after Mueller's funeral, the last one was saved too. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved, Paul says to the church at Philippi. Reminds me of something similar he said to the Corinthians at the end of chapter 15. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Don't quit. Stay in the fight. Stand fast in the Lord. You know, think about postage stamps for a moment. Yes, they're getting more expensive as time goes on. But at least they have one attribute that we would all do well to emulate. You see, they stick to one thing until they get there. And I would encourage you and I to have that same attribute as well. Galatians 6, 9, Paul says this, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I know that there are times when it is tempting to just throw in the towel and to faint and to give up. But we'll miss out on the reaping if we faint. It was a stormy night in Birmingham, England, and Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, was to speak at a a meeting at the Severn Street schoolroom. His hostess assured him that nobody would attend on such a stormy night, but Taylor insisted on going anyway. He said, I must go even if there is no one but the doorkeeper. Well, less than a dozen people showed up that night, but the meeting was marked with unusual spiritual power. Half of those present either became missionaries or gave their children, to be, uh, gave their children as missionaries, and the rest were faithful supporters of the China Inland Mission for years to come. You see, he didn't let a little stormy night distract him from doing what he knew was right. He stood fast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 says, Watch ye stand fast in the faith. This story here is uh, an encouragement to me as a pastor because I've been where this man has been. The story is uh, an elderly preacher was rebuked by one of his deacons. Now, this hasn't happened to me. I've just felt what he has been feeling. An elderly preacher was rebuked by one of his deacons one Sunday morning before the service, and this man said, Pastor, something must be wrong with your preaching and your work. There's been only one person out of the church in the whole year, and he's just a boy. The minister listened and his eyes moistening, and his thin hand trembling. I feel it all, he replied. But God knows I've tried to do my duty. And on that day, the minister's heart was heavy as he stood before his flock. As he finished the message, he felt a strong inclination to resign. After everyone else had left, that one boy that was added to the church that year came to him and asked, Pastor, do you think if I worked hard for an education that I could become a preacher, perhaps even a missionary? Again, tears welled up in the minister's eyes. He said, ah, this heals the ache that I feel. He said, Robert, I see the divine hand now. May God bless you, my boy. Yes, I think you will become a preacher. Many years later, an aged missionary returned to London from Africa. His name was spoken with reverence. Nobles invited him to their homes. He had added many souls to the church of Jesus Christ, reaching even some of Africa's most savage chiefs. His name was Robert Moffat. The same Robert Moffat who years before had spoken to the pastor that Sunday morning in the old Scottish Kirk. Robert Moffat, by the way, also was the father-in-law to David Livingston. Don't quit. Eric, don't quit. Stand fast in the Lord. And so Paul, as he says, look, church family, I want to go over some things with you. He says, first of all, I want you to know that I'm deeply affectionate towards you. That I want to admonish you to be faithful in the good times and in the bad. But then thirdly, he says, I also want to appeal for unity. Paul's appeal for unity, and this is found in verse number two. It says, I beseech Eudaists and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Notice the word beseech is mentioned twice. There, there, there seems to be some, uh, some repetition going on here with the Apostle Paul, wanting to make sure that everybody's paying attention. And so he, he says, look, I beseech Eudeus and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, Eudeus and Syntyche were two ladies who evidently had some type of disagreement. And evidently it was affecting the entire church family. And I can just picture it in my mind's eye how uh, Epaphroditus there is delivering this, this letter to the church at Philippi, and, and he calls the church family, hey, we've got a special letter from the Apostle Paul. Uh, let's have a big special meeting. Uh, let's have a potluck maybe beforehand, and we'll gather around, and we'll read, we'll read the letter that Paul has written to us. And so everybody's gathered around, syntiki and Eudeus and probably were sitting on uh, opposite sides of the room, maybe kind of glaring at each other, and uh, Epaphroditus kind of breaks the seal on the scroll and begins to begins to read the Book of Philippians to them, and they're sitting, waiting, and eagerly anticipating what the Apostle Paul has to say to us. And a few times leading up to Chapter Four, there's a few thing, few times when. I'm sure Eudeus and Syntyche were thinking, I bet Epaphroditus told the Apostle Paul what's going, been going on here at church at Philippi. I bet he's probably shared our disagreement, our little feud going on here. There's a few things that he encourages the whole church family to do in, verse, in chapter 2 and verse number 2. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. I'm sure they probably thought, I wonder if he's talking about us. And Once in chapter 1 as well, in verse 27, stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving to get, I wonder if he's talking about us. Then chapter 4 comes. Paul says in verse 1, oh, my brethren dearly beloved, and he kind of is like, oh, we love Paul too. And then we get to verse 2. And Eudeus says, I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Awkward. They got called out, didn't they? I I imagine the eyes turned and looked at them and thought, what did, he knows. Must have been very humiliating for those ladies. He tried to soften the blow in verse 1 and then soften the blow again in verse 3. We'll talk about that in a moment. But here Paul appeals for unity in this church because evidently these two ladies were feuding so much that it was probably causing uh, a part of the church to take one one lady's side and part of the other church to take the other lady's side. And, and yeah, I don't like the color of... Uh, I don't know what we have here. The color of the paint, I don't know. And uh, they began to take sides on this petty issue. We don't know what that issue was. Uh, It doesn't mention the context here, but, um, but still it was causing division. I just want to say this when it comes to our church. Division in the church is a very destructive thing. It was one of the big reasons Paul wrote the entire book of 1 Corinthians. And out of all his epistles, the Corinthians uh, was the longest. Because he wrote two books to them. Um, there, because there was serious division in the church. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says this, Now I beseech you, brethren... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Look, I realize I'm preaching this message on the heels of one of the most divisive days of the entire year here in the state of Oklahoma. Bedlam. It is a house divided at times. I know that for one day the state is divided. For one day many homes are divided. I hope that our church uh, can get past this. I know I can. Because I rooted for the right team. But seriously, um, there is division in churches over silly, petty things that start really small and then all of a sudden it explodes and all of a sudden there's a church split. That's not God's plan. In chapter 1 and verse 27 of this book, I mentioned it and referred to it a moment ago, "...only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ." Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says this, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Chapter 3, and verse 16, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. I understand this morning that we are a group of people with different backgrounds. We have different upbringings. We have different likes and dislikes. We have different financial statuses. There are some people who are morning people. There are some people who are night people. There are some people who are neither. They're not people at all. We have different opinions. Some are team Chick-fil-A and some are team Popeyes. How could you? Some root for OSU and... Others root for the winning team. We have many differences. But when we have the most important thing in common, we can have a unity that doesn't make sense to this world. The most important thing to have in common is a faith in Jesus Christ. See, the early church, they had a supernatural unity. Again, they had come from all different types of backgrounds, and all of a sudden, they're in a church family. Here's what the Bible says about this first early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And all that believed were together and had all things common. Does that mean they liked the same college football team? Probably not. Acts chapter 2, and verse 46, here's what it says about them again. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Acts 4 and verse 32, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. There was a supernatural unity because they all had faith in the Lord. Same mind in the Lord is the key. When we are tuned to Jesus Christ, then we can put aside our differences in order to accomplish the work of God. May love, humility, and forgiveness be the characteristics of each of us here at Cornerstone as we strive together for the faith of the gospel. Look, we're not going to always see eye to eye. That's not what Paul's saying here. But we see the Lord, and then we're able to put those things aside so that we can... Do more for Christ. Ephesians 4 and verse 32, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So we see here Paul's appeal for unity. But then number four, I want us to see here Paul's assistance in the gospel. In verse number three, we see this. And I treat thee also true yoke fellow. Many people believe that that is a reference to Epaphroditus, uh, the one who is delivering this letter to the church at, at, uh, at Philippi. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Again, a lot of commentators believe that these women is a reference to Syntyche and Eudeus, the ones he just rebuked. And now he's trying to build them up a little bit and saying, hey, look, you have helped me in the gospel. You have labored with me. You are valuable. You are useful. Help those now to get back to serving, get back to what they're supposed to be doing. Then he goes and says, also with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose name are in the book of life. These were the ones who helped Paul in the ministry. They were his associates. They were his assistants. This past Monday, several ladies from our church gathered together to help with decorating for Christmas, and they did a fantastic job. Looks beautiful. A few weeks ago, many of our men helped with our workday, trimming trees all over the property. Each week, many of our people serve faithfully in various ministries, From preparing coffee early on Sunday mornings, to practicing the music for our public services, to vacuuming the welcome mats, to teaching Sunday school, to serving in the nursery, to helping in busy bees, to stuffing our weekly bulletins, to standing guard in our security ministry, to running the soundboard and the screens, to serving in our missions committee, to fixing a broken outlet, to a host of other things that many of us will never know about, but God does. And so I want to thank those in our church who are fellow laborers, who are assistants in the gospel, who labor with me in the gospel. Paul realized that the work of God cannot be done alone. Ephesians 4:12 says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Look, one of the responsibilities of church leadership is to equip the church family to serve because I'm too lazy to do it myself, right? No, because the work is too great for me to do by myself. I need you and, and you need me. We need each other to accomplish the work of God. I like how the Apostle Paul here does point out here these, these women, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. I know many times in some churches... Uh, women are are put down to the point where they can't accomplish anything or do anything in the ministry. Actually, that's not true at all. Yes, there are some things the Bible limits women from doing in ministry, but there are a lot of things that ladies can and should be doing to serve the Lord. Teaching children is a wonderful ministry for, for ladies because they are far more patient with those little ones than some of us men are. Uh, younger teaching younger women Titus chapter 2 uh, Paul tells the older women to teach the younger women to love their own husbands to be uh, to keep their houses and what is it let me let me read it I don't put it in my notes here but Titus chapter 2 and verse number uh, four says that they may teach the young women to be sober to love their husbands to love their children because I I guarantee there's days where it's not always easy to love their children. <laughs> Uh, Always easy to love our children, though. They're just so wonderful every day. They're so wonderful and precious when they're sleeping. Um, It says, uh, to teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So there is a great ministry for the ladies and the women in our church Certainly, uh, helping with decorating is a wonderful thing. Uh, helping, in, helping with the food prep. And uh, you ladies are tremendous cooks and wonderful bakers. And I appreciate all that you do here at Cornerstone. So ladies, there's a tremendous opportunity for service here. And then notice here in, uh, back in Philippians chapter number 4, it says Clement. And uh, by him mentioning Clement, by the way, the only time his name is mentioned in Scripture, we don't really know anything about him other than the fact that he helped the Apostle Paul in ministry. And uh, by Paul mentioning this individual here, it shows that individually we all need to be involved. We need to have the mentality, if it's going to be, it's up to me. See the need, take the lead. I uh, heard this expression many years ago and And it's been so true, everybody's business is many times nobody's business. If it's, hey, y'all, we need some help, and everybody thinks, great, someone else will help. Great, someone else will do it because it's everybody's business. And uh, by Paul mentioning here Clement, it makes me think, look, each of us need to say, Lord, I want my name mentioned here when when you say uh here's someone who is an assistant in the ministry here's someone who is a servant of the lord i want my name mentioned there because i want to individually be involved and not just hope someone else does it and not say well i'm too busy or i i just i just don't think i could do it now clement said look i don't know what needs to be done but i'm going to do it i'm going to step up and be counted among the servants and so I want to encourage us to, just like Clement, to jump in individually and serve. But notice here at the end of verse number three, it says, "...with other my fell laborers whose names are in the book of life." Whose names are in the book of life. So Paul here says, look, they're my fell laborers, but more importantly... And while I'm not going to give you a litany of their names, just know that their names are written in the book of life. That does beg the question for all of us. Is your name written in the book of life? John, who was the human author of the book of Revelation, he wrote in chapter 20, he wrote these verses, and I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. He said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And then here's the sad verse here. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So friend, let me ask you again this question. Is your name written in the book of life? The the way someone's name gets written in the book of life is by uh, turning from your sin and believing on Christ alone for your salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And at that moment of your salvation is the same moment that your name is written by God in this book called the book of life. And I'm thankful that it's not written in pencil. I'm thankful that it is written in permanent ink, which cannot be erased. Praise the Lord. Is your name written there? My name was written there when I was 12 years old on Christmas night, when I believed on Christ alone for my salvation. When was your name written there? You say, I think it's always been there. My friend, it hasn't always been there. There had to have been a point in your life when you believed on Christ. You say, well, I've always been a Christian. My parents were raised me in church and my grandpa was a pastor. I'm, I'm glad for all those things. But friend, when was the day that your name was written in the book of life? Upon the golden seashore sand, I wrote my name one day. The waves came in and when they left, my name had passed away. Upon the shifting sands of time, men write their names today, but when the eternal years roll in, their names will also pass away. But upon the spotless book of life, God wrote wrote my name one day. Eternal years can never take away that God-penned name away. My name is there forever through all God's endless day, for he who died to write it there has put it there to stay. And I'm glad for that. Has your name been written in the book of life? If not, I can't think of a better day than today. December 1st, 2019 would be a great day to have your name written in the book of life. And for those of us who have our names in the book of life, may God help us all to develop an affection for our church family like Paul had. May God help us to remain faithful and to stand fast despite what's going on around us. May God help us to serve together with the same mind for the faith of the gospel. May God help us all. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the Apostle Paul here, sharing his heart and sharing something that I'm sure was difficult to share. Calling these sisters by name was not easy. I thank you for his courage and his graciousness as he did so. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church family, Lord, to take heed lest we fall. Help us, Lord, to develop an affection for our church family like the Apostle Paul had. Help us, Lord, to love one another, and not just in word or in tongue, but indeed in truth. May it be evident by our actions. Then, Lord, help us to be a church that is a united front, that is standing together and striving together, not striving against each other, but striving together for the faith of the gospel. Help us, Lord, uh, to remain faithful in this day and age. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be involved in serving and to not let Get in the mindset of letting someone else surf, but wanting to be involved ourselves.